My name is Russell Martin. I'm the director of ArtQuest. Uh, I'm here with my colleague Nick Caploni, who you might have met at the back of the room. Uh, welcome to Block 336 and the sixth and final uh, system failure conversation. Um, the uh, system failure has been a, uh, a, a series of conversations around the art world as a system, and particularly from the viewpoint of artists. So uh, there's been a lot of crossover between the different subjects that we've been talking about, which is inevitable. Uh, this one is going to be, we're going to be talking about galleries. Um, and the, the, one of the main drivers for having this set of conversations was that as artists we often spend a lot of time putting the world to rights. And we thought it might be quite good to do that in a more public way and see how we can actually affect some change. What bits are our responsibility to help change and what bits are someone else's responsibility to change and how we might then go around affecting that, uh, making that come about. Um, so, yes, like I say, it's in-conversation events. So I'll be chairing it, and I'll do a little introduction as to why we're going to be talking about galleries, and then we'll hear from Marika and... Um, Kirsty. <laughs> Kirsty. I'm not offended. I yeah, did that I knew to that someone, I did, I did that to somebody <laughs> the other day. Out of six talks, that's the first time that's happened to me. At least I know you well enough. This woman over here. <laughs> <laughs> this one and then this one. Um, so if you do have uh, comments or questions, then if we can hold them for a little bit later on, uh, but we will have time to hear from everyone. And then after we finish the formal part, we can uh, talk a bit less formally and have a cup of tea and have a look at the exhibition as well. So, like I say, the main focus for this conversation is galleries, and um, there's pretty good reasons to be talking about galleries. They're the main point of contact still between artists and the public, or at least considered to be the main point of contact uh, for sales, for criticism, and uh, profile, artist profile. There's also uh, a mechanism that galleries have in terms of how they validate an artist's career. So the more, it's not just about the number of exhibitions that you've had, but the kind of galleries that you've had those exhibitions in will make you a particular emerging or established artist in this kind of slightly woolly vocabulary. And it's that that we want to try and unpick a little bit about what part artists, what part galleries rather, play in that, but also what happens if you're an artist who makes work that doesn't fit very well within the gallery system, work that can't be sold or work that maybe isn't, doesn't have much of an objective form, socially engaged practice or performance or film or that kind of stuff, um, and how, you can, how the system might better adapt to that kind of work. Uh, galleries also have quite a gatekeeper role. They're often seen as gatekeepers in the art world for deciding who, what gets shown, what artwork gets shown, and therefore... Uh, quite often the broader conversation that the visual arts have with a wider public as well. So they're quite key uh, in that sense as well. Uh, there's also a lot of different types of galleries, so we'll be probably, I hope, covering as many different types of galleries as possible, mm -hmm. from commercial to artist-led like this one to publicly funded, um, and trying to work out across that whole system how, how we might be able to change things. Um, so, what I'm going to do now is hand over to Marika Stephen, who will give us a five or ten minute introduction to her, how she sees this, um, and then we'll hear from Kirsty and we'll mm -hmm. open it out to conversation. So, Marika. Okay. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm wearing Kirsty's glasses because I've got <laughs> my glasses and I can't read my notes without them. So, um, 
Yeah, so um, I work um, as a curator for a small organisation called Create. I can take them off because mm-hmm. I can see it right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, having worked in galleries for over 15 years before that, I'm now, I now find myself working in a small organisation without a site, without an emphasis on a traditional space for art. And we commission work in all sorts of places and so uh, we're led by uh, artists' interests, issues, communities, ideas and so we're completely peripatetic in terms of how we choose to make projects. That has involved exhibitions but equally it's involved creating a soft play centre, all sorts of things. so I've, as I said, I've been a curator working for over 15 years, so I was never personally drawn to exhibition making as a curator. Um, and I came into my work now as an artist, and my work as an artist in, in, back in the day was sort of concerned with questions about social networks and political situations. And that basically morphed into me supporting other artists to make work and then I ended up working in galleries but I came in through the education door through working in education programming in galleries Um, and I worked at big in big institutions like Tate I worked at Whitechapel Gallery um, and before that in in, in the good or the bad old days I did lots of like self-led projects with other artists in derelict spaces in the way that it was more possible to do in the early 90s. So, sorry, no, in the late 90s. So I want to make it clear from the beginning that I, I, I really believe in the gallery space as a crucible for understanding the meaning of some art practices, but not all art belongs in that context. And I think some art is potentially compromised by the site of the gallery as an institution. So back in 2013, I worked on a, I was lucky enough to work on a book for Whitechapel Gallery called Gallery as Community. And I made the book with lots of curators and practitioners working in UK galleries. And we were brought together because we, were in, we, we felt it was really important to discuss a certain kind of curatorial practice in galleries that tended to use exhibition making, sorry, education, rather than exhibition making as a kind of route into the institution. And it tried to acknowledge some of the really, really strong tensions Kirsty can testify to this mm-hmm. from having worked mm-hmm. in, at the Whitechapel with me. Some really strong tensions within organisations about what, how on earth to accommodate social practices, mm-hmm. relational practices, pr- pr- practices that are hinged on questions about pedagogy, about challenging notions of expertise in the art world. So... The book took as its subject both the nature of certain art practices but mainly the politics of the galleries as they struggled to come to terms with certain practices. So, I now work at Create where we commission new art as well as thinking about the way that the art world operates. So we set up programs to create new jobs for young people. We work with local authorities to develop art infrastructure. Um, So we're really thinking about the systemic issues that exist in the art world. Anyway, but, and I miss galleries at the moment, partly because working in a gallery gave me a kind of 
I was able to, I've written a phrase here which sounds a bit, but I, I was able to surf the kudos for the photo <laughs> I was able to maximise on the kudos that working yeah. in a gallery lent to me, which meant that I, I had access to artists in a way that I don't necessarily working in a small arts organisation now. Um, but what I get back from leaving the gallery environment is that I'm allowed to work very closely with artists and to, to, to shape projects very, very kind of conscientiously around their, their intentions in terms of place and people and networks and discussions. And I think if I were to move back into the gallery environment, I might lose that. Anyway, so I just... I thought it might be worth just sort of pulling out a little bit about what I think are the problems in terms of galleries handling certain kinds of practices. So going back to Buriord's book, Relational Aesthetics, um, art students groan when you mention that these days because they're so bored by it and it's become really unfashionable. But So back in the uh, late 90s, early noughties, not long after the book had been translated into English, you started to notice that it was landing as a notion in UK art institutions. So education programming at that point was chugging along nicely. Education had come out of kind of vibrant activist and community art practices in the 70s and 80s and also was very shaped by formal education. There were lots of teachers working in gallery education at that time. But one of the impacts of relational aesthetics was that artist educators started to disappear. It no longer... It was, it, basically, educators were out and artists were in for some really good reasons because education departments and galleries had to acknowledge that artists were already quite good at talking to people and communicating ideas and were already very politically engaged and didn't necessarily be, need to be defined as artist educators. That was, I think, a really useful development, but it sowed a seed of a problem for galleries, for public galleries. Education departments, where programmers, incidentally, were increasingly starting to want to be called curators rather than programmers, were far better... Sorry, just, I just need to foreground that. So, there were lots of artists out there making work that was related to ideas about social practice and relational stuff, and galleries were trying to work out how to accommodate them. Education departments were way better at responding to that change than conventional curators were. They uh, were far better equipped to deal with questions about participation, knowledge sharing, research, process, social contracts. And as a result, education departments started to commission really, really good work from artists. And they started to destabilise the role of exhibitions, curators in galleries. That's what I think happened anyway. By 2010... There was a book published called Curating and the Educational Turn. Curators had started, exhibition curators had started to acknowledge that there was this big change afoot, that there were different ways of dealing with practices outside of the institution, and, and it was being acknowledged in the curatorial canon. Does, is it all making sense so far? I don't know if I'm... Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think... Now, that book really upset lots of people in gallery education, 
and I remember it well, we all went to this massive conference that the Serpentine Gallery organised, because in that book there was maybe one or two people in there that reflected this kind of really lengthy, uh, this long history and trajectory of gallery education. So there was someone called Jana Graham, who's really amazing, a curator. She was in there, but everyone else was from academia or was involved in exhibitions curating, and there was a real kind of, there was a tension at that time. Right, so that's going on. The other thing I think that's going on, so the other sort of echo of relational aesthetics was this notion of new institutionalism. So uh, over in Sweden, <laughs> curators like Charles Escher were trying to change galleries to pull them into line with what was reflected in this new approach, this relational aesthetics approach. I'm making it sound like it's one coherent thing. It's obviously much more complicated than that. But what was going on, say, at Ruseum, a big gallery in Malmö in Sweden, was that they were starting to basically reinvent the gallery as something that was far more porous, was breaking away from that notion of a white cube, and was much more viewed as, as, as the laboratory. So you started to see stuff that now feels a bit naff, but at that time it felt really dynamic, so there were lots of, there were sort of like uh, communal libraries popping up, or there were music nights, or there were meals going on, so it was reinventing the gallery space as a community space. Um, so these, these new institutional approaches filtered across from Scandinavia to the UK, and they sort of landed in a not very efficient way in institutions. So what you ended up with was the remnants of gallery education that had changed a bit, and then you had this sort of semi-laboratory approach in institutions. When I worked at Whitechapel, Ivona, the director, had written an essay where she described the evolution of Whitechapel galleries having evolved from a temple in its early days to being a white cube in the kind of mid-20th century and a bit later, to, to the laboratory by the time I was working there. But I don't think that that change ran very deep. I think it kind of let, sort of rested on the surface. So the opportunities for all this laboratory-style approach and education departments changing their practices, the opportunities should have been immense for artists. There's a chink in the armour, a space in the canon for people interested in process, politics, community, activism. But what we find is that the programming coming out of galleries through education programmes got more avant-garde, more groundbreaking, more spiky, but it didn't land anywhere else in the institutions. And it'd be really nice to think about why, but I don't think... It, and I think... I was saying just now before we started the talk that, in a sense, the existence of the education department has ended up becoming a real obstacle, I think, in terms of certain practices becoming absor absorbed properly in institutions. So I have a question, really, for artists and curators, is that should some artist practices stay out of the gallery? Should they st actively stay out of the gallery? Should they resist? One bugbear I have is that I feel that lots of artists that I work with, I, I'm sort of quietly disappointed by, by the degree to which they don't question the kind of institutional politics of the galleries. And I know it's a tough call to expect artists to do that because they're trying to make a living. But I don't 
hear enough artists wanting to see the audience development plans in galleries. Mm -hmm. I don't hear them. Uh, I, I don't hear them being bothered by the meaning that the gallery system brings to their work enough. Um, and you know, I've worked in galleries for years. Most of the staff are white and middle class, and there's a lot of shorthanding going on within galleries about who 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 audiences are and who they can be. Anyway, right. So I'm nearly finished. Um, So, yeah, just one last point, really. Now that I've left the gallery, I think one of the things I realise galleries do absolutely amazingly is that they, they protect art, that they act as a buffer between funding and the artist. I think it's really important. I think when artists work with gallery institutions, there's a really kind of well-versed etiquette or, 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 or system that kicks into place that ensures that artists aren't driven to do things that aren't fundamentally connected to what they want to do and what their practice is. And that's a mechanism, that's something that the gallery situation does. Working outside of galleries means that artists are more likely to get pushed around by funding sources and this notion of instrumentalisation. So... There's a risk in there that art, art is defined once you leave the gallery in terms of its social and social value and political impact. Um, but I would suggest also that galleries are guilty of instrumentalising artists back the way, and it would be really nice to talk about that. Um, and uh, that's it, really. <laughs> Great. I think that's it, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Kirsty, I need my glasses. You need your glasses. Oh God, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's like the, the job sharing. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I am currently the director of New Contemporaries, which is a non-venue-based organisation as well. Um, working sort of not in a similar way to Marika, but sort of working in for an organisation that doesn't have a venue, but obviously very much involved in the making, making of exhibitions. Before that, I was, at, uh, I was one of the curators at Whitechapel. And before that, I worked at um, the showroom, which I'm sure some of, some of you know. Um, and then before that, I was uh, one of the organising uh, committee at Transmission Gallery. So I've come through very much from a sort of practice and artist-led um, background. I mean, I'm just going to sort of start by saying some of the things I'm not going to talk about, but it's, you know, absolutely, I think it's sort of critical in all of this that we need to sort of um, unpick ideas around the market and the types of practices that um, are represented and circulate or not, as the case may be. Um, I'm also going to sort of leave aside the uncertain future of the public, of the public sector in terms of uh, funding in, in the UK, because that's just too depressing and I think that that's going to have a sort of massive, the future of the Arts Council will have a really big impact on the types of practices that, that, that are supported and, and are seen in the UK and also I'm not going to talk about audiences, I no noticed that that was one of the things that Russell had sort of picked up in his in introduction was this idea of elite audiences for the arts and Marika also sort of picked up on that but that's maybe something that we want to sort of uh, pick up on is it possible we can have hands up? Hands up, I can't hear. Oh, right, okay. I'll speak a bit louder. 
But the one thing that I did pick up on from, from Russell's brief that he sent out to us was um, this notion of the white cube. And I'm going to argue that it's not so much the formal architectural aspects of the white cube. I'm going to do that, this a lot. <laughs> it's very annoying, but it's a habit I have. Um, but with the structural and procedural aspects um, that are t attached to making exhibitions within institutions. And I'm going to define institutions as being um, the network of national and international gallery spaces that present exhibitions of modern and contemporary art. I think we all kind of have a sense of, of what those are. What those are. Um, and I think it's those sort of structural and procedural aspects that that's the, the, um, the issue, really, that, that kind of um, impedes the presentation. I can just keep going while we fiddle travel around. Um, impedes the uh, presentation of research and project-based um, practices in that particular institutional context. Um, and I think it's really the political and administrative functions around the necessity to sign off on lists of works months in advance um, of the opening of an exhibition in terms of, you know, making loan requests, creating packing lists, coordinating economic transport and insurance um, of works that's kind of led to an inflexibility in the thinking of exhibition departments within institutions. I think Marek has spoken very clearly about the methodological approaches of education departments which are much more fluid and much more um, responsive to how you know to how they how they work um, with artists so it's this idea of you know how you might make curate or develop a project with an artist and I think that that's something you know putting my hands up I really struggled with going to Whitechapel that you know, from being at showroom, you were commissioning artists to, to make a, a solo show, a first, you know, first solo show in London. And, you know, very often the work was being made on site in the gallery space, you know, so you weren't dealing with shipping objects. So that mm. having to kind of get your head around to a much more kind of formalised structural kind of procedural approach where there are certain things you know had to happen and I think we're all very aware that as the kind of Tate brand I think has grown that there is perhaps a sort of sense of maybe how things are done mm. in galleries and I think that how exhibitions are made there's a, perhaps a sort of tradition of how things are made, exhibitions are made, and I, I mean that in its kind of broadest sense of how things is kind of brought, brought together, that, that maybe isn't kind of challenged as much as it maybe should be with, within institutions. And I think, you know, that we're all very aware, I think, of the sort of the two opposite end of the art world ecologies, and for very, very different reasons, um, that there's an, a curatorial imperative and engagement and a capacity to create platforms for research and project-based activity. And I'm going to, um, you know, when I use that term, when I call, describe something as being research-based or project-based, that is using that very, very broadly to kind of describe the multiplicity of artists that are dealing with either bodies of knowledge, communities and contexts in their, in their practices that they're not necessarily dealing with, you know, making objects, make, making, making things. 
So at one end, you've got the kind of circuit of high-profile, large-scale events such as Documenta or the ever-growing number of biennials and triennials that we know are kind of proliferating across the globe um, and to an extent art fairs as well. And I think maybe we want to come back to why some of those um, more process-based projects are being introduced into art fairs because I think, you know, that yeah. there's very... Uh, definitely, you know, something to do with the generation of intellectual capital around around the market. I, I said I wasn't going to mention the market, and <laughs> I have. Um, you know, and I suppose in those forums that they're sort of generally well resourced, both in terms of you know financially and in terms of manpower. And it's also, I think, time is a really kind of crucial aspect in this. That you know, they're sort of working outside the parameters of the usual sort of six to eight week exhibition that you know an art fair you're either hitting it in a few days documenta you're unpacking you're you have the possibility to unpack pack a project over the 100 days so that it can be processes can be built in in the run-up and then a project can unpack in a particular way over 100 100 days but it may not be possible to do within within an exhibition, for example, at the Whitechapel. And I think at the other end of the food chain, I was trying to think of a nicer way of saying it, saying it in food chains. I'm just going to do that in a kind of <laughs> annoying way. Um, I think that we're all very aware that you know artist-led and smaller-scale organisations, um, such as a collective gallery in Edinburgh, Eastside Projects in Birmingham, Primary in Nottingham, Project Art Centre in Dublin, Site. You know, Spike Island, Studio Voltaire, the showroom, Weising Arts Centre, Transmission Gallery are all very good at working um, with artists on more durational, you know, participatory or research-based projects um, that, you know, really kind of force a rethinking of the more kind of traditional aspects of how an exhibition is made. And again, I use there's a sort of interesting semantic shift I think around making an exhibition and curating an exhibition. When I started off at Transmission in whatever, um, dark ages, <laughs> uh, the mid-90s, mid you know, we would never have described what we did as curating. Never in a million years. You know, you made an exhibition, you made a piece of work, you made an exhibition. And, you know, there's been interesting kind of linguistic shifts, semantic shifts, and that thing that is all very much um, attached to, you know, the, the rise and proliferation of um, curatorial practices. So, you know, this idea of the rise of the curatorial. Again, you know, I think you've got artists, you've got curators, you know, you've got a younger generation of curators. I teach on the curating course at, at Goldsmiths, and they're constantly thinking through how do you work with an artist, how do you make an, ex an exhibition, what does it, you know, what does it mean, what do those terms mean, what types of relationships do you want to build, what type of communication do you want to have with a with, with a with a broader what broader practice? And I think I'm. Optimistic. I'm sort of broadly optimistic because I think, you know, just as we've seen um, performative practices, moving image works, you know, very much becoming the canon of what I've sort of described as being institutional spaces, I think that there's going to be 
it has to happen. There has to be a kind of generational shift as, you know, a younger generation of curators are getting jobs within, within these spaces. That there is going to become a resistance to those very kind of prescribed procedural ways, you know, of making exhibitions. Um, and I think that, you know, that so that, you know, that there will be at least sort of spaces you know, that oh, it's already happening within education departments, you know, why can't it, why can something that's a little bit le driven by, you know, the registrarial processes of making a, sh making a show, you know, sort of happen mm. within, a, within an exhibition department. And I think something that sort of I was thinking about is going to be really interesting to see what happens at MIMA in Middlesbrough because, you know, the, the person who's the director there is Alistair Hudson and Alistair Hudson has come, come from Grisdale, so where you have a very, very different type of engagement um, and working process with artists. And um, Alistair is somebody, you know, I think who's very interested in, you know, pushing all of those ideas around, you know, the institution, what... Um, what education means, what, 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 what participation means, what communication with a broader public might, might be and what those relationships with an artist might be. And I, I think that that's going to be a really interesting one mm -hmm. to, to, to watch because, you know, it is an institutional space being led by someone who's come from a very, very different... You know, he's not a, you know, he's not a product of, of, of tape, you know, that he hasn't been trained in... The pr in, trained in the process and trained yeah. in the, the kind of the, the making. So I think that that's something um, um, that I kind of want to sort of draw sort of hope from, I think, mm. in terms of this. And, and you know me very well. I'm not normally the most optimistic and hopeful person in the room. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's kind of where I wanted to sort of leave this sort of foregrounding of the, co of the conversation for, for today. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. Do you have anything you want to respond to in any of that? Um, I mean, you don't have to. No, I do. Well, do you know, that the only thing I've been reflecting on as Kirsty's been talking is that is, is, is this is the notion of the market. I think it's really difficult to have this conversation without acknowledging it. And um, I was saying to Russell that... Um, when I worked in education program, education departments, I was um, sort of, I didn't have to deal with commercial mm -hmm. galleries. That didn't come into my remit at all. And I do have to now. And um, one of the things that I think exhibition curators in public galleries feel envious of education curators about is that we d we're not in any way tied into mm -hmm. any kind of relationship with public galleries. We're totally autonomous. And it's been, there's something really interesting about this food chain about how, and I don't completely understand it, about how public gallery programmes are informed by what commercial galleries are up to mm -hmm. and how artists get noticed by commercial galleries. Mm -hmm. Like how that happens, mm -hmm. that's, that seems absolutely fundamental to any kind of mm -hmm. success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, but it's um, a little bit like buying a house. The whole system... Uh, hinges on the notion that it isn't a level playing field and it can't be. It can't be. Well, it can't. I mean, it, actually, I think that's true. It can't be. Um, I mean, there's only, apart from anything else, there's only a certain number of galleries mm -hmm. in the world and there's a lot more artists than there are galleries. Yeah. So uh, on, a, on a strictly numbers basis, mm -hmm. 
um, it, it doesn't work like that. And also in terms of selection, I mean, one, one of the things we haven't really talked about is selection as well, because one of the main functions of galleries is to pick the artists that will be shown for particular reasons, for the, because of it's the kind of artists that they show, or it's the artists that their funders might be interested in, or there's some other kind of aim mm. for it. So there is a, a role that galleries have a, in terms of selection, in terms of basically picking who is going to be a successful artist. Yeah. Although, you know, the, re the reason that we're kind of talking about this and talking about th this in these terms is the last 15 years, we've just seen this a massive kind of upsurge mm. in terms of um, the private sector in the, in the UK. You know, mid-90s, London... You had Waddington Gallery, um, you had Victoria Miro, you had The Listen, you had Maureen Paley on Beck Road, Anthony Doffey, yeah. um, and Anthony Reynolds, and yeah. that was it. You know, and you know, so I think that's one of the things that's really changed and I think that that is the whole um, there's been a complete acceleration in terms of numbers you know there's more people there's more people graduating from art schools there's m so there's there's more kind of product coming out of the the system to kind of feed into a gallery sector that's just absolutely kind of growing and booming and becoming an international global market because that's the other thing, you know, that galleries here have relationships with, you know, galleries in Sao Paulo, so, you mm. know, that they are sharing, swapping artists, you know, so that you get onto a whole kind of career trajectory that just becomes much more kind of... Um, Inter, you know, international than it than it than it ever in, than it was. You know, sort of what's previously, is, so it, you know, that it's actually become a th you know that I think for us, I, I've never I've never worked private sector. I've mm. always been public sector, but I think you know that it's now become something that we have to abs you know that we have to absolutely acknowledge. And at sort mm. of various different points in my career, you know, the interface has been in in dif you know in different ways. You know, we mm. were talking earlier about. You know, Chisholm and the, at my time at, at, at showrooms, it was suddenly, you know, this market was beginning to rise. You know, freeze happened. You know, it's like the art world pre and post freeze in the UK are like just totally different beasts. It's, in know, terms of the nature things. of work that's breaking through and is being exhibited, mm. it's obviously deeply influenced by the tastes mm. inherent to the market. And, but the issue is that um, the market is inherently conservative. Mm -hmm. And so what we see, and it's probably taken a few years for that impact to filter mm -hmm. through, I think, mm -hmm. and this is just an instinct, that what we see filtering through is inherently... Um, I've used the word inherently six times. Right. Um, is... is, 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 is veers towards things that can be easily mm -hmm. transported, mm -hmm. easily exhibited mm -hmm. and don't cause too many political mm -hmm. um, tensions. Yeah. Well, and ultimately can be sold yeah. and can be insured. Yeah. And, have, and, you know, I mean, the art world is, is, was, well, has always been a commodity market. Mm -hmm. 
commodity-driven mm -hmm. market. Yeah. Uh, before the Arts Council, there were no publicly funded mm -hmm. galleries. There were museums yeah. or there was commercial galleries yeah. and, and dealers, and that was, that mm -hmm. was it. Mm -hmm. um, and even we, one word that's come up a lot of times is career. Even mm -hmm. the idea yeah. that an artist has yeah. a career yeah. is actually a relatively recent yeah. Yeah. thing. Yeah. If you go back to the mid-90s, like you were saying, yeah. uh, Arts Council funding was a hell of a lot lower than even it is now, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. after the cuts that have been. And artists... In my experience, I mean, mid-90s was when I moved to London, and in my experience, that uh, people weren't talking about having a career. Mm -hmm. no. um, they were, it was fairly open that people were usually doing something else mm -hmm. to pay to be an artist. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think a lot of artists still do that. They still mm -hmm. have a job yeah, somewhere yeah. else to pay for the studio or their mm -hmm. materials or whatever. This has come up in previous mm -hmm. conversations as well. Mm -hmm. um, but particularly around, given that we are in where we are now, mm -hmm. and that we're talking about galleries... Mm -hmm. Uh, one thing that struck me about what you were saying, Monica, was this, and I've worked in gallery education departments as well, at Whitechapel, actually, I think we've all, we're all Whitechapel, uh, former Whitechapel, and many other things, and um, is that the, the education department will always, uh, not just at Whitechapel, this is kind of everywhere, that the education department will always raise more money than it spends, and that, all, that surplus will go to fund the exhibitions, because in a, from a fundraising point of view, you can fundraise much more easily for education right. than you can for yeah, exhibitions. Yeah. Um, and that there is a kind of iron curtain, really, between that education world. When I was there, which was mm. late 90s, uh, between the education world and the exhibitions world. Yeah. And it, it struck me that when you were talking about um, when this book came out, that education was seen as destabilizing the exhibitions uh, Not sure whether they appreciated that at the time, yes, but I think yes. that's the effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that the, the result of that has the result of that been that they're joining together a bit more or well, talking to each other a bit funny. more. Um, so uh, when I was at Whitechapel, I had this golden period. It was amazing when the gallery shut down <laughs> <laughs> for two years because we extended, and it was actually a really um, amazing time because I suddenly was in this position to propose to the gallery that we pushed the so-called community programme into the centre of the institution and we set up a satellite space and suddenly I was working really collaboratively with exhibitions curators and the sense I got from those... It was amazing working with them. The sense I got from them was that this was like this amazing period for them to think about mm -hmm. process-driven, mm -hmm. project-based, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. that, they, were that, that mm -hmm. they had a keen interest in but never had any opportunities to let loose in the institution. Mm -hmm. anyway, so I was doing that, but the same thing was going on in lots of institutions and it ended up becoming kind of most crystallised at the Serpentine Gallery um, and I don't think it's lasted, but Sally Talent tried to introduce something called integrated programming, which is essentially what she was trying to do was to abolish the difference between an education department and, a, and, and the exhibitions making team, and they were all supposed to work together. And um, I'm not sure the degree to whether that actually ever took hold in the institution, but my dream was always that See, I think this idea that in order to be a schools curator, you have to be able to talk to schools or to work with the community, you have to be able to talk to the community. We're, we're, we're generally quite good at talking to each other. We're generally quite good at adapting to other people's needs and experiences. So my dream is that the exhibitions curator 
Yvonne Blaswick will re lead on a schools program mm -hmm. for this season, mm -hmm. and I will work on a process-based project yeah. in the exhibition yeah. space. That, but that hasn't, as far as I know, that has happened nowhere except the collective gallery mm -hmm. in Scotland, yeah. maybe, would you say? Because yeah. yeah. the collective's director mm -hmm. is an artist. Yeah. I think that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know that you talked about this earlier. It's a gener you know, it's a generational thing as well. I think of a, a willingness, and I think a sort of an understanding. Because one of the things that Russell, when you were talking about, you know, in relationship to, to the market and um, product, let's just call it product, and we can look at product in terms of you know what what a, what an artist might make, you know, an object, a sculpture, a painting. I think that there's also now product that turn, that circulates in terms of exhibitions and ideas mm. um, and I think that you know curators build careers around the product that they you know that they produce the exhibition and the exhibition to be a successful product in a way has to be a neatly packaged succinct thing mm. it's an exhibition by you know an artist of a particular caliber in which in which you know this particular idea was developed, or this body of works were, to, were brought together, and this publication was produced. I think what we are sort of talking about, and I think you know, I think probably everyone in this room is is more interested in is the sort of funny, grey, blurry areas where things kind of maybe can't be so neatly packaged and can't mm. be so neatly, you know, turned into these objects that circulate and of course you know exhibitions do circulate the exhibitions tour you know and that's one yeah. of the other really mm. kind of critical ways that you know institutions as I've described them you know operate now you know financially mm. you know they sh you know they, they, sh they share you know they, sh they share costs how do you you know how do you tour a project research based project that involves working with the particular you know, the community, the because community. the community is not yeah. going to tour as well. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's sort of what I'm also interested in this conversation is what part, it's something you said as well, are there some practices that artists should just keep out of galleries, that galleries just aren't appropriate for them? I think maybe they should keep out of certain galleries mm -hmm. or, you know, I think that um, I think that you have to, I mean, and I'm still optimistic, you know, I'm still optimistic, you know, we, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I teach at Goldsmiths. You know, we have remarkable um, people coming through. You know, coming through that course. You know, who have now gone on to have you know very good jobs mm. in you know in in institutional spaces. And you just think, all of that you know kind of thinking. You know, I'm a product of a particular time and space. You know that that their level of thinking around you know how you work with an artist, how you make an exhibition is. You know, so much more sophisticated and nuanced and complex in reflection of the fact that practice is, you know, you talked about, you know, just trying to, us trying to kind of get to a point where we're defining what's a gallery, what's an emerging artist. It means a different thing mm -hmm. for, to everyone, mm -hmm. you know. An emerging artist means a completely different thing in the context of new contemporaries. It means a completely different thing now in relationship to the showroom and a completely different thing entirely to, you know, to Whitechapel. So how... If you do choose as an artist to, to turn your... Mm. I wouldn't suggest that any artist should turn their back on the gallery system. I think it's different projects require different approaches. 
But if you do take, choose to, to, to make a work that exists beyond the gallery space, you have a challenge there about... Sorry to bring it back to money, but it's in, in essential that artists make money in some level, and I'm not sure where people can turn to in order to support those practices. So there are a limited number of organisations like my organisation, CREATE, that support artists to work outside of the gallery field. But aside from that, you, you've really only got the Arts Council to go to, haven't you? And that's For individual artists, yeah, pretty for much. For individual artists, yeah. And then um, I suppose that more and more I'm, I, I'm wondering where the how much artists are thinking and talking together about what's coming our way in terms of the Arts Council and the future yeah. of public funding. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's really essential that artists acknowledge that these debates yeah. are in part yeah. of the practice if you're going to be moving yeah. beyond... The, I think yeah. it's part of the responsibility of the work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, there are, uh, there are artists also who have nothing to do with the public gallery system and they, they make work which goes to commercial galleries and they mm -hmm. sell it and that's basically how yeah. they make yeah. all of their income. Yes. So there's, there's but they're not very interesting, are they? <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. Um, but ultimately, if we're talking about galleries, and you'd mentioned this as well, Marika, about how galleries kind of provide this buffer between artists and funding or mm -hmm. artists and audiences, but it, it's ultimately people have exhibitions because they want other people to see their work. Yeah. So, or they have exhibitions or they run projects or they have... Mm -hmm. it's, so it's, it's about connecting artists with audiences mm -hmm. in the widest possible, in the broadest possible sense. So what are the other ways that artists might be able to connect themselves or be connected with audiences? It's funny because as we're talking, I, sorry, because were you about to say yeah. something? I keep thinking about the, mu the mural movement and as like the absolute extreme mm. end of what we're talking about. So it's quite interesting to think about what happened in the 70s. So the art market was very... Crashed. Yeah, it was, had yeah. crashed, yeah. But, there was, um, but it was also... Mm. There was lots of figurative painting mm. on the market. There were peop and lots of people... Lit I've, I've spoken to muralists from that time. They left the Royal College and decided to turn their back on, on the art market and... Mm -hmm take work outside the institution. They, they, they're a funny lot because they were sort of... I'm going to get loads of hate mail from the mural if any of them see this online. They're quite <laughs> a um, vocal bunch. But they... Um, they... Um, literally... They, they, lots of them took a very kind of crystallised political position in relation to galleries and, and just and, and ended their connection with them completely and decided that the, the space for their work was, was public surface. Um, but what they didn't have was like a sort of ongoing political position. In, they, they, they didn't talk about what, what the meaning of the gallery space was or what the meaning of the work was. It was literally as though they carried paintings from inside the gallery and plonked them on walls and didn't understand the critical mm -hmm. significance of them any more broadly mm -hmm. than that. And in the long term, that was like a death knoll for that mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. And uh, Where am I going with it? I think, yeah, what, what we Context need is, is something... Context is half the work, like, something like that. Say that Context again. is half the work. Yeah, I suppose... Yeah, we need something that is... I think that we need artists who are able to work in lots of different contexts simultaneously. I think that's the way it has to be.
Oh, and, and of obviously the GLC funded all those murals. That's the big difference, isn't it? There was a. It was a political drive money. to do it. Yeah. 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 I'm going to come to everyone in a second. So if you've, if you've been sitting on questions, then now your time is fast approaching. Um, I think, more just a comment, really, one thing I've been noticing around this conversation about education versus exhibitions departments and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, it sounds, and, and the, I think you very coherently made a, very, a really interesting argument around the administration mm -hmm. of exhibitions mm -hmm. and how... That's, it, it can be quite a lumbering process mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of the way these legal yeah. and financial things that yeah. need to go into it. Mm -hmm. That it sounds a bit like uh, territory between people and objects. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like super blandly and super uh, um, too oversimplified. But like edu the education department is around communities, around audiences frequently more often, is around art, art, putting artists in direct contact with people. Yeah. And the exhibitions department is more about putting the objects in that place and, and keep being this buffer between the artists and the audiences. Yeah, would you say? Hmm. I yeah. think so, yeah. Broadly. Yeah. Very, yeah. very broadly yeah. and very... Yeah. And then yeah. I suppose more broadly, education departments, good education departments are about... Um, breaking down definitions of, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of ownership of knowledge and yeah, meaning, yeah, so breaking uh -huh. down notions yeah. of expertise. Yeah. And, and I think, I hate to say it, but I think sometimes <laughs> that, uh, you know, maybe we've seen a kind of a history of, of those boundary points and those kind of uh, ownership of knowledge and expertise actually been reinforced. Yeah. by exhibition departments and kind of particular approaches to making exhibitions and telling particular histories. I mean, I think it's changing, yeah. but I think that there are, you know, that there are kind of certain, you know, occasions and, and moments where you see all of those kind of hierarchies and all of those kind of preconceived um, sort of senses of, in terms of, you know, who holds knowledge and who is then communicating yeah. the knowledge is actually kind of reinforced by, 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 by the exhibition and the way that the exhibition is made and the way that the exhibition is mediated. Yeah. Do you think that's why some of the other people in galleries and education departments are sort of mimicking some of this terminology around curating, being an education curator or... Because because there's there's the kind of kudos in yeah. doing the exhibitions well, side the, of it. The, 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 there's a really tricky. Th oh, sorry. Well. There's a there's a there's a difficult dynamic going on in gallery institutions because education curators have got really good stuff to say, but they're not necessarily getting listened to. Mm -hmm. So calling themselves curators maybe yeah. gets them a seat okay. at yeah. the table. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I cringe as I call myself a curator because it just mm -hmm. sometimes it's so mm -hmm. it's actually not useful, is it? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, mm -hmm. but it, it, it is very useful within institution. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know, it, you know, we have seen, I think, a sort of process of formalisation and you know professionalisation happening in the art world yeah. over the last few years. And I, I think, you know, it's yeah, maybe. I don't know, it's less easy, I think, for um, people from particular backgrounds. I often you know, think, would I have followed the same career trajectory if I was starting off now, you know, graduating mm. from the sculpture department in Edinburgh College of Art? I doubt it. I think you this know, I is think it, yeah, really it's, important. It's, you know, I think that's quite critical. And I think that yeah. the, the steps 
that that you have to take I think you know there's more competition everything is <coughs> slightly I mean okay there's more opportunities but somehow it seems more mm. kind of you know formalized and I think yeah. you know that kind of process of that yes there's been a point of of I think you know legitimization or acknowledgement of, of work in terms of you know people working in education departments being called curators trying to kind of break down some of those um, perceived hierarchies within institutions of which you know which departments hold mm. hold the most value but it also is symptomatic of a kind of process of professionalization as yeah. well that you have that you have to suddenly become be referred to as a curator to have a legitimacy to well, be able to sort of enter into those conversations. It's, it's so it's such a vicious cycle, isn't it? So mm. I would also argue that one of the, the the difficulties is 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 that institutions tend to recruit people who mirror the people mm. that are already yeah. working in yeah. there, and so you're yeah. seeing this kind yeah. of horrendous kind of monoculture mm. coming through mm. institutions. But the professionalisation bit was an attempt to to challenge that so to, to professionalizing it in theory democratizes it because you can go and study it and do a course yeah. and maybe have stand more of a chance of getting it can in be and more about merit it. rather than about who you know but yeah but the, the difficulty is is that the 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 the, 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 the oh yeah it's so embedded in the art world in terms of needing to know the right people to get in there that even getting yeah. the MA or even getting the PhD yeah. doesn't necessarily guarantee you a place in there yeah. but I do think that thing about who's able to, yeah. to work in galleries is really massive in terms of what that means yeah. in terms of the kind of art practices that they can accommodate um, there's a kind of uh, because Kirsty and I have both both share the fact that we came through art college and, and studied art, and I do think that has a massive impact mm. on the way that artists yeah. are then understood and received yeah. in institutions. Yeah. We've joked and about how you that. Yeah, how, you work, how you work with an artist. As yeah, well. yeah. Mm. There's a kind of weird um, unspoken hierarchy. I used to think, especially when I was working at Tate, that uh, you, you became more important the closer you were to the artist mm -hmm. there was a kind of weird yeah. a, no 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 don't talk to the artist we, we mustn't talk to the artist mm -hmm. today she's in a terrible mood today or something it'll be this kind of i mean i'm exaggerating but yeah, there was a yeah. kind of yeah. Yeah. yeah artists are kind of a problem to be handled yeah <laughs> i mean i am exaggerating <laughs> a bit but yeah there's a do you know what I mean? That's or that they're so important that only the you know, you know that only the only the curator yes, I've may address the artist. <laughs> but then often they're not being paid for it, and they're not yeah. kind of giving given yeah. much resources or much yeah. time to do it. But, no, yeah. but, but they're, they're the, kind of the most important. Yeah, but they're, but they're yeah. absolutely yeah. revered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, maybe it's a good time to go to our guests and see if anyone has any comments, questions, anything. We'll see. Yes, at the back. Great, half a book here. Um, <laughs> I'll start off with um, a comment about somewhere here, uh, dominant culture, because it seems to me that, um, no disrespect, if, three, if you three guys all come from, oh, been through Whitechapel, as it were, <laughs> then that makes you from a certain background, yes? Mm -hmm. And you, you, all three of you have careers in the arts and, and within the visual arts. And I just I just wondered about I just wondered about why I was surprised that the art world and particularly the gallery world is as it is. 
when you know the people that people live, if mm -hmm. you like, all come from, as we said earlier, a similar if not the same background. Mm -hmm. um, and and as, as an artist from a, a non-arts educational background, I've always been very interested in. It seems very close enough to me. I mean, I've been mm -hmm. working galleries over 30 years, but not very much work. And that's not because I, I hate galleries or whatever, but I see them as a, a specific space or mm -hmm. type of space and mm -hmm. run in a certain way. And, and I would agree that, that things have changed um, over the last 10 to 15 years. But I, I think that political changes. I think at the point when new labor gets in and, and labor brings in tuition fees, but before it does that, yeah. Uh, political handling pattern of the Arts Council, mm -hmm. which changed the way the Arts Council dishes out money, etc., mm -hmm. etc., et yeah. and indeed centralises the arts funding system. So I think there are other political things that have happened that have changed mm -hmm. practice yeah. and, 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 and the way that people both engage, you know, in, in the process. And, and I'm curators and administrators as well. I mean, I see that as a job creation program by Blair because all of this happened after the mid nineties, i.e. when you know. It's got a hell of a lot more diverse than it was when I started working in galleries 15 years ago. But that, and I think the things that have changed that is there were sort of, there, there have been, I'm not, in terms of, I mean, and, and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination suggesting that it's okay, but it has got more, more diverse in terms of class and ethnicity and, and not in gender, in terms of gender and education, because it's still all women. But, um, and, and the things that changed, I think, what changed that was what Kirsty was talking about, the professionalisation of, of curating, and you could study muse museums and gallery education and all that kind of stuff. There were actually career routes, routes mm -hmm. in. Before that, honestly, I'm not exaggerating, it was just... When I first started working at Tate Britain in 1999, it was just... Um, it was just out of the arc. It was like, look, it was really super privileged. Mm -hmm. Like super duper finishing school well, stuff. It's just one gallery. I mean, I come yeah. from the northwest, and so okay. I'm in Manchester. And, you know, yeah, there's yeah. A lot of different. I've been up in Glasgow. I mean, you know, you you used to put installations in places like the Arches in Midland Road or in the CTA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you go to Europe, I mean, in Amsterdam or in Finland or whatever, there's much more of a kind of a street level operation. So cafes are, are you know, are exhibition spaces. And yes, there's a stable and a bad rock, but mm. do you know what I mean? There's something in between, closer to the people. I've and just what I found right. here is, in, in England particularly, is a very much more centralised and, and hence controllable mm. uh, system. It's, it's much more hierarchical here, yes. I think. Uh, and there's a lot more, I think, snobbery around where things are exhibited. People well, who have. Well, that's yeah. got its mockers on it, and because we don't spend a lot of money on the arts anyway in this country compared to other European countries, mm -hmm. then less to go around. So when that gets squeezed, when governments change, etc., and that gets squeezed, that always happens with the arts, mm -hmm. then actually what gets shared around hits certain groups of artists or communities or whatever more than it hits a mainstream, you know, sort of a, mm -hmm. a traditional accepted. Mark, my organisation, Creative, just come to the end of um, a, big, a campaign called Panic, and it was um, 
panic sub subtitle what happened to social mobility in the arts and it was just looking at, across all of the art forms and the cultural sector in the UK um, to understand it's such a, a perfect storm the impact of student fees benefit changes how escalating housing costs and the, the, the impact of those issues and others is that uh, all sorts of things that we really attach to the idea, the notion of creativity have been threatened. So the idea of doing it for yourself has mm -hmm. kind of fallen out the way. There's no way of setting up your own organisation for nothing anymore. There's um, the uh, yeah, so it, it, it's it's incredibly mm -hmm. dense, and it's a it's a it's a systemic political debate. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of the diversity of these kinds of institutions. We had a debate as part of Panic called Grit, and it was just literally about who the gatekeepers are in our major cultural institutions, and really reflecting on this problem that the cultural institutions um, are, 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 are white and middle class. <laughs> and, that, and the audiences are as well, and that hasn't changed yeah. in a really long time. I mean, I think one thing that's, in, that's interesting, I mean, just to sort of pick up on something that you said, Marika, just about people setting things up. I think they still do, you know, being involved in Goldsmiths, you know, seeing the group, you know, the, the, the groups that are coming through that each year, you know, they, they are setting up activity, you know, that... But I think what's really going to change is that there's been a kind of perceived trajectory of growth within organisations, you know, that you set up a space. You run for a few years, you know, you earn your stripes, you, you know, you move from getting, limping along on project funding to getting more regular funding. You start employing staff, you get a bit more money, you, the staff grows, you know, you build in sustainability. I think that is going to go completely um, and I think that we're going to go into a much more kind of fluid pop-up based kind of period of activity, that things will still exist, people will still start projects, will start, you know, spaces to show work, but they'll, that they'll run them for, you know, for a year, 18 months, two years, you know, that they'll put a very kind of definite kind of time, time scale on them, and it'll go into, yeah, and it'll, I guess, be led by, you know, when you can get a building in between its kind of current state and the date, the date that the builders are going to start the redevelopment work on it, mm. you know, that it's, you know, again, just sort of moving into, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know, how, you know, I think I feel pes pessimistic, but still sort of hopeful, you know, that sort of mm. activity is still going to be... Um, you know, operating, and I guess it's you know what what artists and what you know what what younger curators have always done is that they've seen the you know that they've seen the opportunities, they've mm. seen the gaps, and they've gone for them, it's and they're kind of and trying. I, I mean, it's just the issue is you know yeah. in, in, the yeah. issue is in London, you know how you know feasible it is to be you know to be able to to yeah. operate on any level. Because I, I just <coughs> sorry, I just want to go for another question yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, just, sorry. So yeah, go, go ahead. Um, okay. um, it's slightly frustrating, perhaps, maybe to me and others in the audience, and I may be already from a sort of commercial gallery background, ah. as opposed to public sector. Um, 
two questions that you can't really mm-hmm. and discuss. Um, it is still possible to set up your own group mm-hmm. and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a member of one group and part of the Commercial Gallery Centre. It provides the opportunity then to hire the gallery and put on your own exhibition. Mm-hmm. Your own exhibition. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the gallery? Uh, we are in the Navy Gallery in Spitalfield. The commercial sector does provide an opportunity for the emerging artists in mm-hmm. certain ways to do things like that, as well as obviously trying to find artists that mm-hmm. they can now yeah. sell the work of. Um, so that's kind of one thing. Maybe it's something people hear also. Um, but another question really or comment. There seems to be a large increase in these sort of open call mm-hmm. exhibitions where uh, a gallery or a curator, a curatorial team, um, we see a lot of female galleries and other places too, it seems to be coming quite frequent now. Um, going on, the people just spit works online, they pay £25 each time, so mm-hmm. it's obviously they get a lot of entries, um, but you know, a, it's like a reaping, it's a harvesting operation, feeding off the huge numbers coming out of the art colleges every year, thousands doing the entries and so on, and desperate to get attention in some way. They're often the, the promise, perhaps, of getting selected, and you know, it's small, perhaps commercial getting put in more, and so on. So. Can I just address your first point first? Um, we, I did invite some people from commercial galleries, but couldn't find anyone who was willing to be on stage or be recorded to talk about how they operate. That's from my circle of people that I asked. Um, and uh, in terms of the other commercial opportunities and hire, hiring spaces, um, there's a, it's, I think that's quite an interesting thing also to talk about in terms of artists who hire galleries to have exhibitions. They're, they're short-circuiting that selection process that is the way that, that is the kind of the special and crucial bit of having an exhibition is being selected to have an exhibition if you're able to hire a space and put on your show. A gallery that's known to be a higher gallery will have a different kind of audience and will attract a different kind of artists, I think, in my, from my experience. I don't, yeah, I don't tend to go to galleries where the artists are able to hire themselves. I don't know if other people... Do. I don't, I'm not as interested in them because... Because, it, because there's it, not that not, kind of selection... No, I mean, it just indicates that they have the money to put on a show for themselves, but it doesn't necessarily... But that is interesting, isn't it? It means that I need there to be some kind of... Critical process yep. going on. Yeah. So I can just come back on that. Sure. Um, the galleries that are a bit of a high are not bringing the audience, it's the people organising the show that are then bringing the audience. It's kind of a different thing. Mm. Um, but it's interesting we were um, part of the group selected by the Flash Football, one there, you know, walking through and so on. So it's kind of had a view of what we were doing. So I'm not really getting into dialogue about the critical selection, so I do understand what you're saying there. 
but I think that's part of the slightly sort of different attitude of, you know, how it comes through the public sector and sort of way you look at things. And, and that's my question, I guess, you slightly, I feel as an uncomfortable element going on here of the dialogue between the public sector and where you come from and the more commercial sector as well, commercial gatherings. So I'm interested to see how you. It's interesting. Because a lot of what Create are doing, my organisation at the moment, it's, it's, I think it's really interesting because a lot of the projects that we're setting up... So basically, what we do is we tend to... Um, we're, we're constantly talking to artists about projects that they want to make happen that are potentially difficult for them to do in partnership with galleries. And then we support our, we basically fundraise for them in order them, for them to make the projects work. And the fundraising that we raise comes through private funding as well as public funding. Um, but some of the projects that we've worked on, in, for example, last year we did a pro project with the artist Catherine Burm, who's part of the group Public Works. And her project has resulted in a social enterprise. So she started, the project started last year. Um, it's called Company Movement Deals and Drinks and it's resulted in a drinks-making company that exists in Dagenham. So mm -hmm. together with a group of women in Dagenham, she set up a beer-making and soft drinks-making company, and that's her art project. And that now has the potential to be completely self-sustaining because it generates an income. And we're really interested in thinking about models of social enterprise. And it's a really difficult thing to talk about in the art world because it's an it's a, it's a inherently capitalist model that we're somehow trying to explore as, as a survival as a, as a survival approach to surviving for artists. And I think that's one... Yeah. Certainly not averse in any shape or form mm -hmm. to commercial approaches to, to, to supporting artists yeah. Yeah. to support themselves by making money and selling their work, mm -hmm. but we're trying to do that in ways that uh, that, that, that leave the power with in, 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 that give artists more power in terms of controlling the meaning of their work, if that makes sense, as opposed to making objects for very particular audiences that sell through galleries. I don't know. I'd have no um, difficulty about the commercial gallery sector but at all. I just have little, very little knowledge about the commercial gallery yeah. sector. And I think the sort of reality for all of the, all of the, you know, the publicly funded, funded institutions is that they're all trying to find ways of, you know, kind of monetarising or capitalising on the knowledge and the skills and the expertise that they that they hold within within the institution, mm. however that might might be. You know, I think we're all very used to, you know, cafes, bookshops, editions. But I think you know we're going to see a whole kind of development of that, mm. um, kind of the internal mechanisms of of generating income for insti for institutions. Becoming much more kind of uh, sophisticated. Do, do you want to develop what your question was a little bit more? I'm not quite sure I understand what, what, what particular bit of the relationship between the public sector and the commercial sector you're interested in hearing us talk about or, or everyone else talking about. It wasn't so much a question. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. The views of you guys on that particular aspect. But it was quite interesting to hear the views on this current trend. Oh yes, that was uh, it. Yes, yeah. the open call thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they are definitely coming up a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Um, and galleries, some galleries that do it do seem to. I mean, I, I've I've heard anecdotally that there's galleries that do it, very small unfunded galleries that do it, 
to basically fund the, the whole year of their activity. Wow. Um, you know, on a shoestring. But, but there are also bigger galleries that do it as well. Whitechapel Open, I think, yeah. charges... The London 25, I think. London, London Open. London yeah. Open. Yeah, is it? Do they have, it's 25. Yeah. 25, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, there is... And, and it's, um, it's a broader... It goes back to that broader issue again of artists paying to be artists, paying to have mm -hmm. to, yeah. to access the opportunities that they have, yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose just, you know, for, from, from my perspective as, you know, someone who's you know, leading new contemporaries now, that... You know, as an organisation, it's 66 years old um, this year, New Contemporaries. And I think that one of the things that I've been interested in doing, I've been working there for two years now, um, is, you know, that yes, absolutely, you know, the platform of the annual exhibition, both in, in terms of its launch outside of London and then coming to London, is, a, you know, a really still a very kind of valid platform for artists' work to be seen on. But I think... One of the things that I'm really concerned about is, well, how do you try and help and support artists, you know, that have come through the new contemporary system? You know, if we're saying that there is a... If you're kind of acknowledging that there's a validation of, of practice through that process of their work being selected for exhibition, how can we, as an organisation, intervene in the sort of first five years out of art school? to try and help to make practices become more sustainable. So, you know, we're working with ArtQuest. Um, you know, we've really developed all of our... and want to do much more to kind of develop all of the professional development um, work that we're doing. And both kind of formally and informally creating opportunities for, you know, for the alumni artists um, to, to participate in. So it's, it, you know, f for me it's very important that you know, that you're not mediating what we do as an organisation as being this kind of zeitgeisty, trend-spotting sort of thing of, you know, stick your finger in the air and see which way the wind's blowing and, you know, maybe kind of pick up on the next hot thing in terms of artists. You know, I think that we're all... I think everyone sort of here is you know, is, is, is interested in, in saying, well, you know, how do you, you know, how do you work with an artist? How do you help, you know, an artist to develop, you know, to develop their career in the long term? You know, how do you, how do you make that sustainable? Mm. For some people, you know, the sustainability comes through an engagement with, with, with the private, with the private sector. Great. If you can make it work, you know, for some mm. people it comes through, you know, it comes through teaching. You know, for some people, it comes through scratching. You know, mm. you know, trying to kind of make things work. I think Catherine's example, Catherine Bohm's example, is great. You know, and mm. how you sort of embed that. Mm. You know, sort of social enterprise. Econ you know, you embed the whole kind of economics of uh, the project into the project. You know, to make it to make it sustainable. Yeah. I think we've got time for one more question. I know you had your hand up again, but I just want to make sure that see if there's anyone else here. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've been talking from an artist's perspective. Um, I haven't been in the country for too long, for about mm. what, max four years now. Um, and I've been very lucky to, to also work in various um, places and stuff. Um, however, I felt like when um, you try to go out like, as an artist, try to get mm -hmm. permissions, trying to um, you know, gain support or projects to grow um, what you want to do, 
um, if you do have a job on the side, it's basically fund mm -hmm. the lifestyle you have to eat, yeah. you have to yeah. live, you have to do all that, bills to pay. They kind of tend to go like, no, not serious enough. Mm -hmm. So, and that I felt to be quite a problem because I was mm -hmm. shortlisted for, for a few commissions. And basically what it turned down to, well, do you have every single day to dedicate during daytime mm -hmm. or not? And I found like that was very kind of very off-putting because end of the day, you know, um, and also um, I tend to <coughs> avoid galleries. Um, I'm kind of a lot more working like um, big commissions, public programs, working with communities, working in that sector, um, rather than the actual galleries. And also with the galleries when it comes to having open exhibitions and all of that. You've got to be so careful because at the end of the day it's individuals who are trying to also make money, they're renting a gallery, they're trying to raise money or whatever, charge an X amount of money. You don't even guarantee to get in. And even if you do get in, there is no um, nothing of substance actually comes out of it. And I think that's also what you need to look at for when you do try to exhibit. It's a there needs to be um, point in it, not just, oh, there's an open call, I can showcase my work and just go for it. I mean, it's got to serve a purpose, whether it suits uh, what you develop, what you create and all of that. And again, with that, I try to, I stay away from things that charge me a fee to yeah. apply for it. So I feel like, um, or I fit into it or not. And there are loads of um, opportunities that actually don't charge, and those are the ones that I do try to go for, because I, I know that you know, I'm going to gain something out of it, whether it is exposure, connections, um, you know, there, there needs to be something of substance. But um, I do find it quite, um, I don't know, like, I do try to stay away from, from galleries, <laughs> I don't know why, but um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, if it's just, I guess it's where I work, because I, I do prefer to go from projects and developing certain things and well, and, this, not more and that's a very important point actually because the nature of artist practice is changing yeah. but we're still stuck as it were mm -hmm. with this mm -hmm. very traditional gallery system which has these separate education exhibitions departments yeah. which has a, mm -hmm. a slight a kind of edification remit that people should come along and be educated and edified by the being exposed to this amazing work and then they should just go away and have better lives and yeah. you know or be better people or whatever by whatever measure um, and that's that's kind of the crux of this whole conversation is how we how galleries can respond to those and changes yeah grow up a bit I mean yeah. I think like we were laughing as me and Kirsty arrived because I was like a bit hot and sweaty because I'd just built two flat pack wardrobes and had been worried about feeding my two kids who've been really annoying this morning before I got here and then I have to kind of sit here and like we're all doing that aren't we we're all kind of yeah. trying to create some kind of veneer professionally in certain situations for artists I think it's especially tough and I think I certainly stopped being an artist because I wasn't able to sustain that kind of balance between doing something a crappy job to keep that going I, I wasn't capable of doing that so I have a lot of respect for people that are doing that I think what is basically going on in my experience from meeting lots of artists is the one there are loads of people that are just keeping very, very quiet about the shitty jobs that they're mm -hmm. doing. So it's partly about that. Mm -hmm. It's about developing a kind of work persona, which is yeah. what everyone has to do. I mean, whatever line of work you're in, there's a kind of putting on the costume mm -hmm. and going to work thing. 
There's also something in it, definitely. I keep thinking about what Assemble winning the Turner Prize means. I know everyone's talking about that at the moment, but this thing about safety and numbers, I think is more critical than ever at the moment, either forming small organisations in order to raise money collectively or working in a group so that you can dip in and dip out and take the yeah. slack at various yeah. points. Now, I know we don't all want to work as a collective. That doesn't necessarily... Um, work for our practice but there are models that I think artists could be really kind of starting to experiment with in terms of how they back each other up yeah, at the moment yeah. Yeah. Um, and that does that yeah. does have huge implications on authorship on individual the individual genius artist myth that we're kind of still stuck with as well yeah. that if, if the artists are starting to work together and more collectively yeah. or under a brand I mean I remember we, we did a, a talk that involved Lucky PDF mm -hmm. and they were saying that just yeah. by calling themselves Lucky PDF, they were able to go to talk to the barbican and say, well, yeah. I'm from this yeah. organisation called Lucky PDF, which was just like four guys who yeah, yeah. decided to call themselves this. But because you kind of, because they sort of instituted themselves, yeah. it gave them a, a certain kind of authority within those conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, as an artist, I think I'm usually really interested in the kind of very positive models for how we can, you know, it's mm. work and make work. But I do think there's an inherent problem, which is a bit like the in the room, with the larger institution, which is essentially what you mentioned at the beginning, which is mm. that you weren't going to go in about, you know, how mm. the art world is, is very market-driven. Mm. I do think that's kind of mm. at the essence of it, the yeah. fact that the commercial art market, you know, the five biggest galleries mm. in the States basically their artists are, uh, you know, consistently programmed within the public sector. So but that's, you know, the commercial world is very much driving the institutional world. And um, the commercial art world is essentially completely conservative. You know, there's a massive gender gap, there's a massive kind of, there's no class division. So even though I'm kind of very into the idea of it's all, you know, being much more proactive than doing things, I do think that we have to, you know, find some way of talking about the bigger institution mm. and how it is the problem, yeah. and that's coming down to us. I mean, you know, I think the sort of the fundamentally, it, it, it's such an issue around money. You know, it's such an issue yeah, around yeah. money because you know, and it's also, I mean, this is where it just becomes so depressed. You know, it becomes so depressing. Yeah, you know, as we're, you know, as we're sort of heading towards, you know, the arts council, the arts council, probably not existing mm. in five to ten years' time. I would mm. imagine, or you know, the, the the amount of subsidy that they have to give to. To, to artists and organisations in the UK really, really shrinking down. I think we, as a country, I think we look far too much to the West rather than to the East. You know, that what happens in, in America culturally, we tend to follow. And I'm very, very, you know, pessimistic that, you know, that we are going to be heading towards... Um, an American-style model of, of support for the arts. And uh, unfortunately, when we talk, if you take away public, you know, if you take away significant public sub subsidy, what's, you know, what's left? It's individuals. It's, it's, it's the market. And then, you know, you know, progr you know programming decisions are being made you know, in, in institutions in London, you know, from from right through from the small, particularly if they're commissioning institutions from, you know, smaller scale right up to the larger spaces, you know, that, that decisions are being made in terms of, you know, kind of programming, you know, if they're, 
if if there is ready, you know, ready support for you know for, for the artists. I mean, it, you know, yeah. I mean, if it came, you know, being yeah. brutally frank, I think and Marika would agree that you know, if it came down to sort of a choice between two artists, one of one of which was, you know, being represented by a blue chip gallery, I should mention no specific names, you know, that sort of, you know, but with blue chip representation. A collect, you know, a collector base, and an artist who maybe wasn't, rep you know, was represented, you know, was maybe kind of circulating in terms of, you know, intellectual capital rather than actual financial capital. I would say that probably nine times mm -hmm. out of ten, it would be the artist that had, you know, that carried. You know, the intellectual and the financial capital would get mm. would get the show. And Unfortunately, the because that's the kind of that is the kind of brutal. You know, that is the the brutal economics of it. And I think the same thing. I'm really depressingly is becoming more true of the kind of curators that are being recruited mm -hmm. by galleries as well. Yeah. That um, galleries are so yeah. nervous about their financial situation that they're more likely to recruit a curator that has connections with yeah. potential funders and someone. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just said it, like, you know, not to bring it back to a really negative yeah. place, no. but because I think it, I really think it needs yeah. to be acknowledged. Yeah. The same way the gender gap in the commercial art world has to be acknowledged very clearly all the time. Mm. You know that that kind of influence it just has to be it just has yeah. to be transparent. That this is very transparent. The system should be more transparent mm. and less. You know, it is a market. It should be. Yeah. It's it's a, it's essentially an, an unregulated market. Yeah, totally. It's a completely yeah. unregulated yeah. market. Yeah. And I think I think the idea of transparency, I think, is an important one because the only way that it's going to be transparent is if artists and other people make it transparent and talk about these things. Mm. And it's not that these things aren't open secrets anymore. They're just open. Mm. Um, uh, about how galleries operate, about how they're treated by galleries, mm. about how they're paid by galleries. Artists have to start talking about these things rather than putting on this veneer of, well, I've got this great exhibition coming up and I'm doing this amazing thing. They have to be more... That's what we, I think, as artists can do about it, is to mm. be more open and honest about that sort of thing. But, but it's so difficult, isn't it? You know, the power relationships are so sort of... Un yeah. you know, are so sort of uh, unequal in this. Neil Cummings was actually, we, we did a, a symposium at, um, at the ICA just, just after the, um, the New Contemporaries exhibition opened and Neil, Neil Cummings is fantastic, you know, was talking about, um, you know, was talking about a lot, a lot of these issues and he's, um, he, he's, you know, sort of putting forward this idea of, of um, having a transaction tax for every sale that happens in the, in the art world and it would generate so it, even if it was the most modest point I think 0.5% it would generate so much money it would generate so much money which could then be ploughed back into supporting artists out with mm. the kind of commercial or kind of private private sector. I mean, obviously the money would be coming from that sector, but it would be about, you know, kind of creating support mm -hmm. for artists, you know, that could sort of operate in a, on a different way. Um, I mean, more sort of other sort of positive things that um, Mark Sladen, who used to work at the Bar Barbican, is um, trying to get um, an organisation off the ground called um, the, Artist the Fund. Artist Fund. Not to be confused with the Art Fund, but the Artist Fund. And that's going to be 
um, you know, so sort of smaller scale grants, um, grant, grant, grants, for, grants for artists. Yeah, I spoke at the. Uh, but again, you know, trying to, you know, he's he's trying to he's trying to get the money. He's trying to get the money, to, you know, to be, to, to be able to, to do that. There's a, a, there's money from um, DAX um, and Arts Council to do a kind of uh, feasibility study into into setting it up. But yeah, there's this the Radical Renewable Art and Activism Fund. They're setting up a wind turbine to develop energy that then funds no-strings-attached grant schemes for artists. Wow. I mean the Kickstarter's just finished for that, but uh, the launch is, I think, next week in oh. Glasgow, they're yeah. doing the launch. It's an, art, it's an artist-led project, actually, Ellie Harrison's mm -hmm. setting it up. Oh, is Ellie Harrison? I think yeah. it's really important that we don't kind of leave it solely to, to artists to oh. keep this... Yeah. Debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I remember somebody who worked in the London School of Economics, mm -hmm. and she sits on their gender, sorry, I know it's an inside apologies, but mm -hmm. she sits on their gender balance and a board, and, you know, she's always going to be suggesting that maybe all people, you know, that all women should go and have, like, confidence courses, and she's always saying, no, it has to go right to the top. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, mm -hmm. it's the people, you know, the present you know, that needs to go in the training course to kind mm -hmm. of Absolutely, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. It's not absolutely. It's not. It's not depending on the people at, at the bottom. But it is. There, there's everyone has a part mm -hmm. to play in a system that we're all involved with. Yeah. We are. We are part of the art world as well. So. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, but no, it's a very, it's a very good point. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna um, draw us to an end here because we have run over by half an hour. Um, it's now four o'clock. Thank. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, so thank you all very much for coming along and for uh, taking part. Thank you also to Marika and to Kirsty, whose name I remembered this time. <laughs> um, do stick around if you want to have a look at the exhibition. We'll be here for a little while as well. And um, uh, look forward to more conversations with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.